Well, good morning. Hope you all had a very Merry Christmas, had your fill of tamales, ham, whatever it is you eat. I think I've eaten it all. We've had Christmas Eve, Christmas, and after Christmas uh, meals. Uh, and then the desserts, oh, the desserts, that was my downfall. Well, if you have your Bibles, open it to 2 Kings chapter 5. This is going to be our last time together here for 2009. Does that seem crazy? Seems crazy to me. This year has gone by so quickly. And as you're turning to 2 Kings chapter 5, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll get you one because we're going to go through the entire chapter. You might want to follow along. In Leviticus... Chapter 14, there is given a prescription of how to follow if a person is cleansed from leprosy, what they are supposed to do in showing themselves to the priest and making sure that they are in fact cleansed. And it's interesting because in Leviticus 14, there is this, what you are to do if someone is cleansed from leprosy, but no one that we have an account of ever does go to the priest and show themselves cleansed of leprosy until Jesus comes on the scene. And then when Jesus is there, he cleanses a leper and tells him, go show yourself to the priest as the manner of Moses is, which was talking about in Leviticus 14. Leprosy was a disease without cure until 1981. And even still cannot be repaired, the damage that it does, as it destroys the nerve endings of a person and they are unable to feel and their body basically starts to decay because of the lack of feeling as well as the lack of circulation to different parts of the body. And so when a person had leprosy, it was a death sentence. They were going to be banished and kicked out of the society because for fear, contagious, people had wanted nothing to do with it. And so here in 2 Kings chapter 5, well, we were dealing with a prophet named Elijah. In chapter 4, the prophet had done some incredible things. He had raised a woman's son back from the dead. He had miraculously fed some people, many of the things similar to what Jesus had done in his ministry. But now in chapter 5, the scene changes. And it takes place out of Israel in a foreign land. And we pick up in verse 1, and it says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram, or it might say Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 
10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold. Now, that's about $100,000 equivalently. So it's a big sum of money. And he also took 10 sets of clothing. Now, that's not because his wife was going with him. That's the fine dress of the day. That's the Armani suits. This is fine linen. These are things that most people don't wear. And so taking this clothing is something that is extravagant, is luxurious. Verse 6, it says, The letter he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel tore his clothes, he sent him this message, why have you torn your robes? I think that's funny. Don't you feel stupid now? Why did you do that? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be clean. We'll stop there right now. The story starts in a foreign country with a slave girl. Not only is it a foreign country, but it is a country that is at odds with Israel. In fact, this young girl was taken from one of the raids that they had gone into Israel, and she had been taken captive and is a slave and is working in this man Naaman's house, who is a commander in the army, who is doing battle against Israel. And, and it's so interesting because all of a sudden we see a person in need. But it's not someone who is of the nation of Israel. He is a foreigner. He is an outsider. He is an enemy. And we see that God is reaching into this camp, into the most unlikely place. And in the most unlikely ways. It's through a little servant. And that's always been the case. God is always the one who is reaching out to people, making himself known in different ways. He did it to Abraham when he was still Abram. And he made himself known and he says, I have chosen you. We saw Jacob when he was asleep using a, a rock for a pillow. I don't know, that's what it says. And he was laying down asleep and he woke up and he had a dream and he said, surely God was in this place, but I didn't know it. We saw that with Moses when Moses was on the backside of the desert. Now, I don't know what the difference between the backside is and the front side, except it's probably further away. And so he's out in the desert, way out there, and he sees a burning bush. And God lures him in and reveals himself to Moses, to Samuel. He's asleep, and he hears someone calling to him, Samuel, Samuel, and he thinks it's Eli the priest. And so he goes, I'm here. What did you say? And Eli perceives that the Lord is speaking to him, and he says, it's the Lord. Next time you hear the voice say, speak, your servant hears. We see it with Saul of Tarsus, who became the great apostle Paul. 
on the road to Damascus where, where God speaks out to him and reveals himself to him, to Cornelius, a Roman centurion, again, an enemy to the nation of Israel in the minds of the people, and God reveals himself to him in Acts chapter 10. And that's always the case. God reveals himself. It's not that we work our way and be able, are able to then discover who God is because we're good enough. First John says we love him because he first loved us. In Romans, it tells us, chapter 3, that there is no one who understands, no one who seeks God, but God is seeking people. God is seeking to reveal himself and to do works in the lives of people wherever they are. And we see that taking place here with Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army. And it says he was a great man. I mean, it talks about him. He was a great man in the sight of the master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. Great credentials, but he had leprosy. It doesn't matter what your degree is. It doesn't matter your title. You're still frail. You're still human. You're still subject to your weakness. And that's the case. A man's life, Jesus said, does not consist by the abundance of his possessions. It's not all the things you get that make you who you are. And Naaman, with all his credentials, is still vulnerable, just like we are. Whether we are Followers of Christ or not, we are still subject to disease. We're still subject to losing our jobs. We're still subject to all the, the things that come along in life that can hit us and that can knock us down and can take the wind out of us. And that is the case here with Naaman. And what's interesting in this first part is that the king of Aram or Syria hears about the prophet and says, well, go. I'll send you a letter. Go get healed. But the king of Israel freaks out. He goes, what? What are you sending him here for? Am I God that I can bring back to life? He's trying to pick a fight. And so we see that those who do not know God or know of God have faith that God can do something, but those who know of him or should know him are faithless. Those who should know don't. And so Naaman goes with the hopes, well, maybe I'm going to be healed. Maybe God is going to... Help me out in this area, but the king freaks out. And can you guys relate to that? Have you been into that place where your faith fails you? Where the circumstance rises up that's difficult? And what do you do? Do you trust God? Do you say, well, I'm going to go to God and see what he's going to do? Or are you like the king of Israel and have a panic attack? What? I lost my job. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Call 911. And all of a sudden, 
the reality of God being involved with our lives seems to disappear. And what we really believe in our faith is really revealed. And that was the case with the king here. And so as he goes there, he goes with his credentials, his wealth. He goes being a commander of the king's army. The king of Israel freaks out. And as he freaks out and tears his clothes, Elijah hears about it and goes, why did you tear your clothes? What's going on here? What, what are you worried about? Why are you freaking out? And we pick up in verse 13 or verse 11 or verse, <laughs> verse let's start at, yeah, verse 10. Okay. Thank you very much for paying attention. I should as well. Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. Cleanse. Verse 11, but Nahum went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. This proves he is watching Christian TV. <laughs> Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. He shows up with his wealth. Elijah doesn't even come out. Sends his servant and tells him, go and wash in the Jordan. Dip yourself seven times and you'll be cleansed. That's not what he was expecting. And he's enraged. The guy doesn't even come out here. I could go take a bath in our rivers. They're better than this mud hole. I'm, I'm out of here. And he starts storming off and he leaves. Verse 13, Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father... If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. What a change that's taken place. He comes as the mighty warrior. He comes as the commander of the king's army. And he almost missed the miracle. Why? Because of pride. Because of pride. You won't even come out and see me? Tell me to go dip myself in the river? Forget it. I'm out of here. And he's entreated by one of his servants. Saying, come on, he just asked you to dip yourself in the river. What's it going to hurt? We're already here. And because of his desperation, he does it. And then when he returns to Elijah, 
It's not as the commander, it's as your servant. James tells us that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we see here that Naaman almost left in his condition of leprosy because of pride. It blinds our eyes to see what God is doing. It blinds our eyes because we think too much of ourselves to understand or see that God is maybe doing something and what God is doing seems foolish. I'm not going to do that. Why should I pray? And pride keeps us from the miracle of God. It blinds our eyes and it almost costs Naaman his life. And as he comes back to Elijah, he's humble now. He recognized the miracle that is done. And, and can you imagine? He had a death sentence. It was going to be a horrific death through this disease. And now he's cleansed. And what's great is he says, I know there is no other God in all the world except in Israel. And in verse 16, the prophet, as he wants to offer the money and the clothing to Elijah, the prophet answers, as surely in verse 16, as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept anything. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing, when my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elijah said. Now, what, what's this dirt thing? Let me get some mules of dirt and take it back. Well, they believe that God dwelt in the land. And so if he was going to worship the God of Israel, he had to take some of Israel back with him that he would lay down there and that would be his place of prayer. And so what he's doing is saying, I'm going to take this dirt so I can worship the God of Israel. Now we know in hindsight and knowing the scriptures that that's foolish, that God doesn't dwell in temples made of hands. The earth can't contain, the heavens can't contain him that the ground isn't holy, it's the presence of God that makes something holy. When Moses went before the burning bush and he said, take off your shoes for the ground you're on is holy. It wasn't that that area was holy, it's that God's presence was there and it made it holy. And so his idea of taking this dirt back is kind of foolish. But it's interesting because Elijah doesn't, give him a discourse and say, no, don't do that. You know, it says here in the scripture that you're not to do that. Or, you know, he doesn't try and give him a lot of information. He, he lets him take the dirt. And then he tells him, you know, my master, the king, he goes into the temple and worships a false god, and I go in there with him, and I kneel so that he could put his hand on me and kneel down. 
may God forgive me when I do that. I'm not worshiping that God. I only worship the Lord God. And Elijah's answer to him is profound, yet short and simple. He says, go in peace. I think it is amazing how often we see in Scripture these people who encounter God and then encounter someone like Elisha or Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch where there's this miraculous encounter with God and then they leave and they don't give them a list of things to do. They don't give them a follow-up sheet. Here, call me in two days. I'm going to give you the follow-up list. Read these scriptures. Go over this little worksheet and then we'll get back to you. They just go. And Philip... With the Ethiopian eunuch, as he goes and he baptizes him, he's actually translated. And he leaves. And all of a sudden, the Ethiopian eunuch's there, and he's like, well, what do I do now? He just goes on his way. And it's amazing how much faith is entrusted to God doing the work in these people's lives without our help. Elisha only says, go in peace. That's his only words. After he says, I'm not taking any of the money, go in peace. Now, what's great about this is Elijah doesn't make a big deal of this bowing down in the temple. He says, go. I've read commentaries and they talk about, well, you know, he didn't okay, you know, this. He didn't tell them. He didn't give him a blessing. He didn't give him a cursing either. It's almost like he saw God was at work and what Philippians 1.6 tells us, he who began the work will complete it. And so he says, go in peace. But he also doesn't say, yeah, that's okay. You see, he doesn't say, yeah, it's okay to bow in the temple of Rimen. No problem, because that's not good. And you see, God never allows us to be mediocre. He will work with us where we're at, and then he wants to move us to someplace better. Jesus said, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, God will help us to be perfect, but he won't help us to be anything less. In other words, he's not going to say, it's okay, you can live in that condition. He says, go in peace, because God is going to work with you right there and take you to somewhere else. And yeah, the dirt thing, you know, don't worry about it. Just take your dirt, go and do whatever is necessary for you right now. Start there. God will take you somewhere else. And he trusts that God is going to work in his life. And so now Naaman is a walking testimony that there is a God who is able to do the miraculous, who is a living God, who is not a God like theirs, who does nothing, but a God who answers prayers and heals the diseases that are incurable. And the only account we have of leprosy being healed is this one of Naaman, a foreigner of the Syrian army 
who was adversaries against the nation of Israel. And once again, we see that God reaches into the place where most people would think he wouldn't reach and touches in a way people think he wouldn't touch and saves as only he can. But the story doesn't end there. After Elijah tells him, go in peace, after Naaman had traveled some distance, in verse 20, it says Gehazi. Now, you've got to know, with a name like Gehazi, you're in trouble already. Okay, if, you've got a, if your name is Gehazi, I'm, I'm sorry for more than one reason. But uh, Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman. This Aramean, or Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought, as surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running towards him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. Oh, everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver or two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing and gave him of the two to two of his servants. And they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away. And they left. Then he went in and stood before his master, Elijah. Where have you been, Gehazi? Elijah asked. Busted. Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elijah said to him, Was not my spirit with you? When the man got down from his chariot to meet you, is this the time to take money or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, or men servants or maid servants, Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elijah's presence, and he was leprous and white as snow. It's interesting that the people who should know better, the king of Israel, the servant of the prophet. Don't. I love the book of Jonah. In the first chapter, when God tells Jonah he wants him to go to Nineveh, and Jonah says, no, I'm going to Tarsus. And he's on the boat, and the boat is being tossed to and fro, and they know they're going to die. And so the captain tells all the men, call upon your gods. Perhaps one of them will hear us and will save us. And the one who knows the living God, where is he? He's on the boat asleep. And isn't it tragic that the ones who know about the living God are faithless or greedy or just asleep? That we who know and believe may be faithless, may be greedy, or just asleep. 
not caring. What a tragedy it is. And who are the ones who believe it's the king of the enemy? It's the servant. There are a lot of choices that are made in this chapter. The first choice was the servant girl who chose to talk to her master and tell him about the prophet in Israel. She made a choice to open up her mouth and it ended up saving his life. You know, it's a sad thing that many of us have that opportunity and that choice, but we remain silent. Even though we know the God of Israel, even though we know who he is, what he does, our voices are quiet. We choose not to speak. Naaman made a choice to go back and dip himself into the Jordan River and was healed. Gehazi made a choice to go and get the money and was afflicted with the leprosy. You see, our lives are about the choices that we make. It's interesting, at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses' last book, it says, it says, I set before you death and life. Choose life that you might live. At the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choice. What we choose determines the lives that we will live. And if we know the true and living God, what is the choice we're going to make? Is it going to be to be faithful, to be filled with faith and belief and trust in God? Is it going to be to be greedy, consuming the things and just caring about ourselves, wanting to gain and prosper ourselves? Or is it going to be for the things of God? See, after Gehazi came back, and he came up with an elaborate story rather quickly when he went to Naaman. Oh, yeah, these two prophets came, and we needed, you know, it's amazing how entrepreneurial we can become in our, you know, deception. Those of you who have kids, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, you could be a lawyer if you would just, you know, put this mind to work in the right direction. And as he comes back and he tells this to Elijah, he says, really, is this the time to get a gain for yourself? God has done a miraculous thing, and you're going to change that and make it about material? Really, is this the time to gain things for yourself? When I was a lumber salesman, and I was selling wood. I went into this one place to sell some lumber. And the guy spoke Spanish predominantly. And he had a guitar, a little classical guitar there, and he was kind of sitting behind his desk playing guitar. And I said, oh, I play guitar 
too, you know, talking, drumming up conversation. And he goes, oh, yeah. And, you know, he handed me the guitar, and I was playing and talking to him. And I knew this one song in Spanish. It was, Your Holiness Surrounds Me. And it's like the only song I knew in Spanish. And so I started playing it, you know, and I hear it's beautiful in Spanish. I guess so. It sounds nice, you know. And I started singing the song to him in Spanish, and I could see tears in his eyes. He was moved. He was touched. And I got to share with him and talk to him just about how I played at the church and my life being belonging to Jesus and what that meant to me. And I got to share with him and talk to him about important things in life, about faith in Christ. And I remember at that time, after I was sharing with him and talking with him, thinking, I came here to sell wood. And the guy seems really open right now. You know, I could easily right now just say, you know, hey, do you need any lumber right now? And I remember God saying, this is not the time to sell wood. Is this the time, Sam, really, you, you need this commission that much? I'm doing something here. You need to let it go. And in our lives, there comes a time where we have to see, are we living for ourselves and only for ourselves? Is our life just about our consuming? Are we being greedy with our lives? Not that you shouldn't make money, but there is more to your life than the abundance of your possessions. Are we being silent about the things of God? Are we being faithless? And our relationship with God is just something we come to on a Sunday, but it's not something that is alive. It's not something we believe in. It's something that we cry out in our times of trouble. We're like the king of Israel. We just cry out to God and rip our clothes and have a little tantrum when we don't see things going our way. Because that's our choice. How are we going to live? What are we going to do with our lives? I love how this story, the people who are used by God are the unlikely ones. The two servants, the slave girl of the mistress, Naaman's wife, and the servant who tells him, just go, dip yourself into the Jordan. Elisha barely makes an appearance in this chapter. And he doesn't even approach Naaman until Naaman humbles himself. When Naaman humbles himself, then Elijah comes out. If we will humble ourselves, then we will see God work in our lives. If we will choose to believe and trust in God and recognize our life doesn't consist in the abundance of our possessions, but in God. And it's a beautiful story, but it's a tragic story. Because the same choices that are made that bring life, there's the other choices by Gehazi that bring his downfall. And there's many of us that make the wrong choices that lead to our 
downfall. And, and there are choices. Gehazi chose to go after him. We choose to go after things that are not good, that are unhealthy for our lives, that are going to bring destruction. We choose that life. And just as Deuteronomy says, I set before you death and life, choose life, choose this day who you will serve in Joshua, the choice is being presented to us. Are we going to choose to humble ourselves, submit to God, do what he asks, or are we going to go after the goods? Choice is yours. Choice is mine. And just like the king, just like Jonah, just like Gehazi, we know better. but we still have to choose right. It's not enough to know. You have to make the right choice. You see, we think freedom is about having the freedom to do whatever we want. Freedom means I can make whatever choice I want, but freedom is making the choice that actually brings freedom to your life. It's not about I can do whatever I want. It's about doing what will bring you liberty. And there's a lot of choices that we make that bring us bondage. They're ours to make. We're free to make them. But like Gehazi, it will bring affliction. It will bring destruction to our lives. And so recognize the freedom that you have to choose doesn't mean you're free. It's the choices we make that set us free big difference because what happens and what I believe is happening to many who believe in Jesus is they think, I believe that's enough. The king believed it wasn't enough. Gehazi believed it wasn't enough. Jonah believed it wasn't enough until they act on what they believe in the right way then it brings healing. That's what happened to Naaman. He didn't believe, but he humbled himself, did what God said, and then he was set free. Same is true with us. Don't think just because I believe in God, it's enough. Make the choice with that belief that is faithful in God, that is not greedy, and that is concerned about others. The king of the Assyrian army was changed because a slave girl said, you should go to Israel. The lives around us could be changed because we should say, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to have faith in the living God. We have that ability, and it's our choice. We're free to choose. Let's pray. Father, this is a sobering story. On one side, it's beautiful, and on the other side, it's tragic. And God, that is our lives. There are things that happen that are beautiful, and there are things that happen that are tragic. And the difference is a choice. 
and the freedom to make that choice that is entrusted to each one of us. And my desire, Lord, this morning, as we look at this story and we see these extremes, is that we would make the right choices, that we wouldn't be faithless, that we wouldn't be greedy, and that we wouldn't be sleeping in our faith, that we would choose to speak and to live for you and not just for the material things, that we would have a genuine faith that is alive, that is active, that is healing, and that it would affect our lives more than us just coming to a service, that it would affect our daily routine, that we would see you at work and we would believe in you and we would recognize that there is a God in Israel and there is only one. And that we would give up the other gods, that we wouldn't... God, that we wouldn't be so faithless. That our faith would be alive. And Lord, I know that we all have made bad decisions. And there are some here this morning that are in the midst of those bad decisions. They're doing things that are taking them down a place that is leprous. It is going to be diseased and their future will reap the consequences. And maybe this morning you are speaking to their hearts and saying, is this really the time to live for this? Are you really wanting to go this way? Do you see the choice that you're making and what it will cost your life? And perhaps they, they believe that they were good enough because they believed. But you're showing them that it's more than just believing. It's acting on those beliefs. It's making the right choices. Maybe there are some of us that are just quiet in our faith. We believe, but we don't speak up like the servants did in this story. We stay quiet, even though we know the truth. We know the living God. We have the power to change a person's life if we will just speak. They were servants. They weren't theologians, God. They didn't know a lot, but what they knew, they shared. Maybe you're prompting us just to share what we know, to be bold enough to speak so that you can work and change in their lives. God, maybe we're like the king where we know about you, but we really don't believe. We lack faith. You're our God, but it's just by name, just by word. It's not something that is alive. And that needs to change. Father, I pray that you would do a changing work within each of our lives. Help us see where we are at, that we would not deceive ourselves. As we're praying right now, you know, I don't know if it's just the uh, emotion of Christmas, the end of the year, but I know there is always this thought of resolution, the new year, going on a diet, I'm going to start doing things better. I'm going to be a better person this next year, do the right things. 
Scripture tells us today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Because today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to make the right choice. Not tomorrow, not January 1st, but today. And if you need to change your direction and want to make that choice, to follow after the Lord in a living relationship, wherever you're at, whatever the circumstances, you want to make that decision and choice, I want to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? God bless you. Anyone else? I just want to pray for you. You make that choice. Father, you see the hands that have gone up. Lord, I pray for these who want to make the choice to follow after you, Lord, that you would touch their lives, that you would bring restoration, that you would bring healing. Father, that we would have that living relationship, that living faith in you. God, that you would help us in this walk with you. Thank you for being our God. Thank you, Lord, that you are at work. And just as you went with Naaman, you'll go with us, Lord. You've begun a work. Complete that work. I pray that you would minister to each of our hearts, that the, the Scripture would just be soaking within us, Lord, that it would just be reminding us time and time again of where we're at with you. The things that we read today, Father, would be on our minds throughout this week. Use them for your glory. We do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.